Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the podcast, we pulled in some of our own Whole Whale experts to join us to talk about copywriting, why it matters, some formula and approaches. I'm really excited to have Sarah O'May, Digital Marketing Associate and Maura Paxton, Digital Optimization Manager. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks, George. Excited to be here. (laughs) I love the the be here in the digital sense. Yes, I'm really excited because I've watched you both sort of develop uh, an internal training uh, for our team and an approach to uh, to writing copy because that comes up quite a bit in our digital marketing world for for clients and frankly for ourselves. And maybe to kick this off, you know, starting with you, Sarah, why um, you know, why why is copywriting important? When asking why copywriting is important, I would almost pose the question: Why are words important? For nonprofits online, words are a tool. It can be a tool to make users online feel really good about your nonprofit's mission, good enough to maybe donate or get involved. Words can also be a tool to raise awareness to different aspects of your mission. Um, But we would have to get even more specific about what you're trying to do online to really be able to hone in on why copywriting would be important for you. Uh, But I think it's one of those sneaky, quintessential um, subjects that lurks in every corner of digital marketing, in a sense. Yeah, it can kind of be hard to see because it's all around you. You're like, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. However, if we're not doing it properly, bad things can happen. You're like, oh my gosh, why isn't this ad working? Why aren't people opening my newsletter? Why aren't like so many times all of those threads just right back to... By the way, you're not using words that work. Uh, Maura, for you, what is um, what is the interesting copywriting? Well, it ties in, I think, just to what both of you were saying. I think for any, for all approaches to marketing work, I'm a huge fan of user-centered marketing and centering your users and thinking about what do they need, what do they want, and how are my marketing communications efforts serving that? And copywriting really is just another aspect of user-centered marketing. When you're approaching copywriting, you should always be thinking about what are the needs of my audience? What do they want? And why is what I'm offering them important to them? Um, What's going to inspire them to volunteer or donate for my cause? And how do I connect them to that? And copywriting is just another way of doing that and making sure that when you do put fingers to keyboard, you're thinking of like what resonates with them and not just you know, the type of writing you like to do um, off work hours. Yeah, I think with respect to nonprofits, especially the the nuances with selling a cause versus selling a camera uh, online are are similar in some respects. You can you can borrow, steal like an artist, if you will, <laughs> from a lot of copy that's designed to, you know, get someone to like buy that pair of pants or get that camera, but there's something I, I think uniquely different in selling a cause, getting a volunteer to, you know, give their time, talent, treasure, whatever it may be toward uh, 
the mission of an organization. While there are some similarities, I think, you know, studying it and then also realizing that there is um, uh, a lot of nuanced uh, language and emotional approaches for nonprofits, you know, uh, it, it merits study and, and work at it. And like, it's, it's one of those things that I like to is just because you figured it out today. You're like, I got this ad, it's definitely going to work. Guess what? A year from now, <laughs> tactics expire, but you know, you have to revert back to the, to that strategy. Um, Maura, is there anything, or Sarah, is there anything that you've, you've sort of seen that supports the like, oh yeah, that would sell a watch just fine, but not so much this, uh, this donation to animals or a particular cause. I keep thinking of things and then being like, no, that would work. So I was going to say, oh, like limited time sales, but I do think, you know, we have giving Tuesday. It's just this one limited time event, but we see that that has a really big um, impact on giving. So I, I think almost anything you would use to sell a watch, you can use to sell a Ooh, How about diet pills? A thinner you in 30 days. Does that oh, translate? Well, like, don't lie to people. <laughs> don't, don't, no, no fake studies or silly trends in nonprofits. They're hopefully just selling the honest truth. Yeah, I guess the the nuance I'm like maybe picking up here is that uh, the what's in it for me, the hard sell on like your life better, fancier, faster, richer, smarter, right? That type of just blatant framing, true, untrue, what have you, is um, I feel not as present in the, hey, open up your wallet and heart for a second here. Actually, I think that a lot of the ethical dilemmas we face in e-commerce marketing could be applied to nonprofits in a sense. Um, I think that sometimes we can be in danger of maybe selling savior syndrome to people or a savior complex. You Mm. can save the world uh, by completing this action and maybe oversimplifying some of our copy to sell being a savior to someone. So there are still some trips and there are still some tricks and traps that we should be careful of avoiding even when marketing for nonprofits. And it can be Maybe easy to assume that everything we're doing is ethical, but that's one example I can think of. What's well, an interesting point too, because the you know I'll I'll paint the with I'll paint with this brush. Uh, for instance, the I, I'd say the, the moral and ethical compass of a five hundred one c three, which you know has a public facing nine, uh, form nine ninety, which is designed for a public good, which doesn't pay taxes, uh, tends to have that sort of thought of being. Even though we could write an ad this way, it would be disingenuous. Or what's more, it could serve to propagate a stereotype saying, hey, here's a group of individual stakeholders that can't fend for themselves, lest for you and your giant heart and ability to save the day. You know, like there's there's some problems with that. And though it may help you for Q4, um, it, it may be a poor decision for the long term. And that's something that, you know what, I, I find that I love about nonprofits, the, the sector and the consideration that like uh, we words matter to your point, <laughs> Sarah, guess what? Words matter. Um, and that comes up in copywriting. And that's one of those secondary processes running in our heads. Like, Hey, by the way, just because people will click, <laughs> should we be using this? Yeah. And not to raise a problem without a solution either. This is something that we started really observing internally at Whole Whale and realizing when we'd each been personally guilty of using savior language to maybe oversimplify a cause and uh, oversell the feeling of accomplishment when giving to a cause. But another kind of language that can be really effective here 
is simply pivoting from you language to we language, where instead of saying you can save the world, uh, maybe proposing in your copy that we together are working on this problem and you'd lo- we'd love for you to join us. So funny. I had just unmuted to ask you if you, like, there's no surefire way around it, but if you felt that we language was a potential solution, because I think back to George's initial point too, about like diet, like how people sell diet pills and it's saying you can be better. You can do this. I think if you invite someone into the, we, it's like, we can create a better world through this and you're bringing them into the community it's something you're doing together and it still centers them, but it's also selling them on a promise of a brighter future for a global community or your local community, depending on the scale of the nonprofit that they're looking at. This is a, one of those fundamental pillars in, if you're talking about like the formula for, for good copy of the you versus I dilemma and like one of the great experiment, uh, you know, great practices is to go through all of your copy And just put a little circle around all of the eyes, all of the eyes being we're talking about I, the organization. And so just an asterisk on we, we're talking about the universal we, not the royal we, the we of the the royals, right? Saying like, we have done this in the field. We have done that. We're making a difference. We are creating the type of programming like that's basically using I. And I is just really just sort of sandbagging your uh, (laughs) sandbagging your ads because it's about. Um, the organization. It's about you personally, as opposed to the other persons, your target audiences experience and experience with uh, that cause. And so bringing them in is, uh, is key, but we is a funny, it's a funny way to do it. If you don't use it the right way, I'd say. Yeah. It's a little bit sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. I like it. Sneaky, sneaky for good, doing it ethically. <laughs> but, all right. So, you know, we, um, we talked about some, we were like touching on some of these formulas Maybe you can talk through uh, some of our approach and things that you have learned, because as we just uh, have noted, you know, you want to avoid sort of savior language. You want to avoid um, reinforcing stereotypes, you know, some pitfalls. Um, You know, others are certainly like uh, victimization of a certain stakeholder, which um, is sort of a, a cousin to some of those themes. You know, avoiding pitfalls is one thing, but how do we write good copy? What are some guardrails that um, you all have uh, picked out in your in your studies and your research? This week's sponsor, none other than Whole Whale, a digital agency helping social impact organizations build traffic and measure impact. However, they also have an amazing new tool, the Inclusivity Crawler, the inclusivity tool that helps you find language that may be offensive to some of your stakeholders and shareholders. It looks through issues of ethnicity, race, gender, health, wealth, religion, and a number of other isms, frankly, that maybe you didn't have in mind when you wrote that content last year, last two years, a decade ago. The inclusivity tool will go through a page or even your entire website if you need it and help you find language and replace that language with the kinds of words that will be welcoming. Inclusivitytool.com. Again, that's inclusivitytool.com. And now back to our show. I think often the first guardrail can simply be learning more about the people that you're writing your copy for. 
Um, there are ultimately different approaches to this, but I've learned a lot just through SEO keyword research in some of my work before writing copy. It's very illuminating, to say the least, just to do some quick research on how people are talking about issues. And it really provides a snapshot of how they're thinking and maybe realistically what ideas or opinions or even misconceptions around an issue might be in the world today. I think it can be easy to start off copy thinking, my organization is great, my cause is great, everyone will automatically be really excited about this, and I can use the language I'm familiar with to get my message across. But we really want to start bridging the gap to not only actually reach our audience through any research method such as SEO, but to talk about issues more in the real world instead of maybe in our idealized version of the issue. Yeah, Sarah, I know some of um, some of the clients you've worked with, there's been a dilemma of the way that the audience, using keyword research, we discover that the way that the audience is talking about a cause or an issue isn't the preferred terminology, whether it's the experts in the field have a different term they'd like to use, or maybe um, one term has become deemed to be insensitive by impacted groups, but people are still searching for that term and we have the opportunity to make a difference and even educate people. And then there's this ethical dilemma of like, what do I use in copy and articles? Do I use the word that people are searching for or do I plant my flag on this hill and I use this word that maybe won't bring in an audience? Yeah, absolutely. That is a great question and definitely a dilemma I'm seeing some nonprofits facing. Um, one part of that issue is what I stated before. People are going to talk about the issues that you deal with maybe in different ways that are less PC, less inclusive, uh, less correct in some way, and maybe even offensive to the organizations we're working with. And they would never want to include those terms on their website. Um, also, language is continually evolving and people are becoming more and more aware of terms that may not be so inclusive that maybe three years ago we were using in our everyday language and our conversations. Something that I noticed one of our clients did really well was to take the term that they didn't want associated with the issue and laying it right out there on the page. Um, in this case, I can think of a client off the top of my head who works in the health field and works within an issue that is sometimes viewed as pretty controversial. And I think with any controversial issue, there are ways of speaking about it that may even seem more controversial, but it's really just the results of well-meaning people in the public who don't have access to a lot of information about the issue. So they're not really sure how to talk about it. And what this client did was actually in the title of some of their copy said, this issue is not this word that you're using to talk about it. And by doing so, they give themselves the opportunity to continue to rank on SEO for this keyword, hence actually be seen by that audience. Uh, but they're using copy in a really interesting way here because they're not only serving themselves or because they're not only 
selling themselves as an organization and driving those users towards action. But in this case, they're actually selling a different way to talk about an issue. Uh, and in that way, I think it can be really a powerful way to lay the groundwork of actually working actively to change language instead of rolling over and letting it happen to you. I think that organizations can be an active participant in the way language is changing if they're not afraid to confront the issue head on and meet those people who are using those words they may not like where they are. I think also the example you gave for that type of headline is interesting because it plays into one of the types of headlines you can go for while you're copywriting, which is like, I have secret knowledge that I am sharing with you in this article. That's kind of the the theme of it. So telling someone, you know, instead of this word, you can use this word and, hey, I'm going to tell you why and how in this like friendly, approachable way can inspire curiosity and someone wants to be on the in. They want to know why is that? What am I like? Am I doing something wrong? But what's going on? How can I know more? Um, So writing it in this way that sparks curiosity instead of fear or shame is also a method of inviting someone who's using that term um, to read your article. Yeah. And it gets, uh, it gets complicated, but I think that's a good example of how to sort of have your cake and eat it too. In the respect of, look, if other people and potentially people that need your services are looking for words that are associated to the cause, the service, the support they need, uh, it's incumbent on you to, uh, to show up, to show up where they're looking. Um, and there, I think there's, there are ways, uh, there are ways of doing that. I have another sort of uh, another another challenge for you um, with regard to positive and negative framing for copywriting, and how we think about which uh, which path do we take? Because honestly, sometimes you know, selling urgency, uh, selling certainly around disasters, right? It's not like, hey, take your time. The flood is fine. Uh, that's not what we're doing, right? Help us make a flood-free environment. Not what we're doing. There's an earthquake. It happened right now. Get to it. Um, can you tell me how you um, you approach the, the sort of do we phrase this in a positive or negative uh, context? Well, I think that's a good question and that there is a fine line between urgency and shame when selling emotion in your copy. I think that a sense of urgency might be appropriate for certain issues, especially when the clock really is running out and people really need assistance as soon as possible. Uh, But I think that that's a bit different from maybe selling shame in the sense um, of saying, you're not doing anything about this. Shame on you. Um, You should feel bad about yourself. Um, I think that there's a really broad spectrum of emotions that you can sell through your copy. And in an ideal world, we really like to think that we can position all of our copy to just sell that really good feeling of having donated and done a good day's work and helped a cause that you care about. But I think that urgency can be appropriate sometimes. And I've actually seen urgency work in the past in a variety of ways. I think you want to be intentional with how and when you're using it. Um, A core part of copywriting is knowing who you are and who you are in relation to your audience. So if you're sending out an email like that with urgency, 
knowing what tone you're trying to hit and what emotional journey you're taking them on. So if you want to inspire them and like really hype them up to come help and show up for this cause and it's super urgent, are you the locker room coach who's giving an inspirational speech or are you the slightly intimidating um, person who's just kicking them into action? Cause maybe there's like a disaster in motion and you need someone who's going to tell everybody where to go and what to do to keep everybody safe. So what type of voice are you in the conversation and what type of voice are you in relation to your audience? Yeah, I think the ideal case scenario, like, you know, you have this uh, archetype in your mind, or I do at least of like the perfect ad, which is it's about the we, it's about the you, it's about the benefit that they're going to receive and it's positive. And then sometimes you, you watch this, like uh, the complete opposite work when you do an AB test and you're like, ah, gosh, um, you know, and, and sometimes you have to, you have to reconcile that. And that's, that's why, um, that's why one of the reasons I always love looking at AB tests and ads and pieces like that, cause we can, we can say all we want and then we can look at customer behavior and then you have to make the decision, right? Well, the archetype of that, I think George is all of the, like in the arms of the angels, cue the cue. music, like save the pets ads that used to hit where you're you think all ads should just make you happy and excited and then you get that one and it just makes you want to go hug every dog and cat in the world and save them all but it didn't take you on a happy journey yeah um and you know i think some of those tactics have been have been exhausted and you you get the uh yeah those types of ads that that bring you there getting back to the uh, the emotional journey is quite interesting understanding what state that the emotional state and energy state that someone comes in on uh, i think is a, is another important point and one you know we've talked about in the past a little bit with regard to there are high and low energy emotions and there are positive and negative so you know close your eyes visual uh, visualize a good old matrix there and, and realize that, you know, I can, I can pretty confidently say if you're, if you're dealing with uh, low energy emotions, you're starting off with one hand behind your back. You're, you're, you're holding yourself back initially is my instinct and my experience. And starting off with a high energy emotion at least lets you have that type of activation energy because a big point of any ad is do the next thing. So maybe shifting to call to action. How do we move from Here's the here's the here's the opportunity to help. <laughs> here's what we have and can be doing. How do we get to that action moment? How do we think about that? I think that this is where some formulas can really come in handy. I think the first step for copywriting is knowing yourself, forgetting about yourself, getting over yourself, and knowing your audience and what we've discussed so far. But once you're in that state, channeling some of that into a formula can be really helpful and also help with writer's block and just make sure that you're really hitting all of the points you want to hit in an advertisement. Um, Maura, it's funny that you brought up the in the arms of the angel ad and the subsequent emotions that left us with for life. Um, But that actually follows a really powerful formula for nonprofits called ACCA, which is A-C-C-A, where in that ad, Sarah McLaughlin raised awareness about that issue by asking if you wanted to be an angel for helpless animals, uh, increased comprehension, the other C, by explaining that issue, 
um, everyday innocent animals are neglected. And she also created conviction towards that action by saying that they're crying out for help before finally laying out the action there to please call the number on your screen with a monthly gift right now. We may not be in love with the emotions that that advertisement brought up for us, but it is a pretty cool example of a content formula in action and what that can look like. Absolutely. And we can link this resource in the show notes, but George, I'm forgetting the, if it has a specific name of, um, oh wait, it's on the tip of my tongue. Plutchik's Wheel of Emotion. I'm really sorry if I butchered his name, but we can link this in the show notes. It's kind of a wheel of emotion that shows you different emotions that your audience might be in. And then um, the spectrum of emotions they can travel through from those. So if you're trying to take someone on a journey, I think it's important to think where they're starting from um, and what opportunities you have to take them on other journeys that would inspire action and be an active emotion instead of a passive emotion. Because for many of our clients, users aren't coming to like their ads or their website, um, their emails in like a totally positive, excited state. Like a lot of our clients deal with tough issues, um, be it around mental health or loss of uh, a family member or a pet, um, just a, moments of emotional turmoil. So how can we make sure we're also being respectful of the emotion that the um, the audience member is starting in when we're asking them to activate and do something else? Yeah, and you know, getting it from that initial state to where you're going—that's that, what a journey really is, and, and how you do that. And, and copy can be can be a challenge, and it can be fun for for some folks. You know, looking at something that's a bit tighter, like the ad copy formula, when you get into a, a Google ad, you know, we don't have the uh, the Sarah McLaughlin budget, right? We have the Google Ads budget, and we're 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 pinned to doing that. You know, looking at our, our formula there, uh, we talk about sort of the, the benefit and then, you know, essentially you have to get right to the call to action. Can you maybe break down a little bit of like, all right, look, cool. I get it. We can write entire, you know, movie scripts around this, but like, let's be honest, you get like 160 characters. Um, how do we rethink and package all of that into something so tight? I actually think that Google ads do copywriters the greatest service in the world by forcing them to pare down their copy. Um, a lot of people that are attracted to the field of copywriting identify as writers, or at least I'm speaking for myself. I really loved writing academic papers and poems and songs and short stories. And I got really attached to the way I used to write. But when you are copywriting, your writing really just needs to sell and it really just needs to be read, which means essentially making it as simple as possible. And what Google Ads does is it gives you just a few fields similar to a tweet even. And it says, this is what you've got and this is what you've got to sell. So good luck. And because of that, I think anyone who uses Google Ads is becoming a better copywriter every day. Within that, there are a few formulas I can think of that can really help make that process even easier. Um, and one of them would be just to use one of your keywords that you're targeting and tacking on a benefit to it before landing into your call to action. 
using a keyword really benefits you in Google ads because Google ads is going to serve that ad more often. The people who are searching for that keyword are going to see the ad and feel identified with. It's like a shortcut to good SEO in a sense. Um, And then by adding on a benefit, you can start to sell your copy or show how it can serve your cause. They'll look (laughs) Looking at the example, I see that there is a bit of savior complex in there. (laughs) We have an example that's keyword eye donation. You can save lives. So maybe we can revisit that. But that is an example of a benefit that can technically be sold through a Google ad. Uh, Another thing that works really well is asking questions. According to a study by Marketing Experiments, we can link in the show notes, uh, questions outperform statements by 36.18% in click-through rate, people that are looking at the ad and actually clicking on it. Um, By posing a question, you're sparking a little bit of curiosity. You make people want to read a little bit further, maybe to your landing page for an answer. Um, That call to action is inspired by the question. You can get answers by clicking on the CTA. I think the question also puts, it takes the the I aspect out, it centers the user because they're imagining themselves asking the question and then seeing that the question will be answered. So it's just another way of inserting some new language, but potentially avoiding savior complex situations. Um, I also really like, Sarah, the ADA formula for short ads like Google ads. Um, I think what a formula can do in a place where your copy has to be really tight and really short and you're limited by word word count is allow you to make sure you're hitting every piece that you need to. And you're not just focusing on atten- capturing their attention and you know sparking the action, but you're missing the middle parts. So what ADA stands for is attention, interest, desire, action. So the attention part is catching their eye, letting them know, um, that you're basically that your ad is there saying, Hey, you come look at this interest, uh, spark their interest by letting them know what you're offering. And then for desire, you're explaining why they might want what you're offering and action is that call to action. Let them know what to do next to get that thing that you inspired their interest in. Yeah. I think the, the quick tip there on, in terms of the question forces you into a very smart formula, which is gaining someone's attention and uh, creating an introducing conflict, confusion potentially that the human nature just needs to resolve. Like we just have this thing uh, where we have to find the, the answer to a thing. It's, it's the, the cliffhanger, right? From, you know, if you're watching the squid game and you're like, oh my gosh, what happens next? Like that's how our brain works. And, yeah. you know, the, the example, we have one, uh, one here, another one uh, for, organ donation, organ transplant waiting list, how many people are waiting? And that's like, that's the headline. And then you can go into the small piece versus starting with 113,000 people waiting. Like think about what hooks you faster. It's the question that needs resolution. Then it's much easier to learn how to save lives. And I will go out and say like, there's savior complex misused, right? Donate a dollar. You'll, you know, save Afghanistan. No, you, you won't, right? Donating an organ, you will save a life. I, don't, I will go out and I will say, 
confidently that by donating, becoming an organ donor will legitimately save lives. That's I, I think that's an appropriate use of it. And a great example where we're like, oh, wait a minute. Even in that, having the discussion. That's a really interesting point. I actually can't think of a more literal situation you where you literally save a life save a than by life. donating by way, someone's organ. organ. So don't try everything at home. We encourage nuanced thinking at home. Talk folks. to your doctor. Results <laughs> may vary. Become an organ donor. Um, yeah, but to your point about questions, what makes this question super powerful is it was based off of SEO keyword research and seeing which mm. keywords were performing well in the ad grant. So not only are we posing a question, but we're actually posing a question that our audience is asking. I also love the ad grant because you're basically always A-B testing your copy. You're always able to optimize and see what was performing well. Okay, that did really well. Can we tweak it a little bit and make it do even better? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lately, uh, get the latest updates has been performing really well with my ad grant clients. A sense of urgency. Yeah, the final, um, anything on like the CTA, like cook here, do this now, donate, act now, learn more, you know. I, I have been one for, I have always been one to say like, look, you know, when in doubt, reduce the number of words and increase the amount of specificity for what the action should be once you have done all of those other things, right? You questioned, hooked, brought in, resolved, and then the closer just make it clean. Um, what thoughts do you have on, on that CTA though and framing it? <laughs> it is not the moment to be precious. I am often tempted to do something like that. Like, especially if you get a great theme for your copy on your landing page, for example, I think I was doing one recently to sell a product and the general theme was ghosting also because it's fall, but ghosting in the online sense. So I was so tempted to make my CTA something like, like ghost bus to your email list. Um, but that would have been so confusing and the person would have had no idea what they were doing. Like if they clicked it, was it going to do something in their email marketing platform or were they going to buy a product? Were they going to read something? <laughs> were they going to get a computer virus? It's so unclear. So then instead you do buy product. Um, so they know exactly what they're doing. We always want to make sure if someone's clicking a button, if they're clicking the link, they know exactly where they're going, exactly what they're getting. And it's just the time to be really clear. So if somebody has to think about why they're doing it, that's a moment of indecision. That's a moment that they might then decide not to follow through on the action. That's actually a really funny point um, because sometimes clickbait can actually serve us really well, especially at the beginning part of a formula where maybe you're trying to hook someone's attention, um, but you wouldn't want to clickbait your CTA. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to get an email that says, click this button. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> I would not click that button. I click the button every time. It's a trap from <laughs> your IT that? team. Who would do that? What CEO would actually run around trying to trick his own team? <laughs> yeah, all right. I digress. I think with um, CTA, the other piece that comes to mind, if you're talking about that action moment as some of the work by BJ Fogg and the ability, motivation, and trigger uh, the elements of, of human behavior in that, in that moment. And, you know, we've already sort of tackled the motivation. If I have high motivation to do a thing, frankly, like you can, you can be rest assured your trigger is going to work when it matters, but Sometimes also maybe teasing the ability, like, is this going to be a hard thing to do or an easy thing to do? Am I going to have to, uh, you know, 
get on a get on a bus and go to this place to clean up the beach and that's the only way I'll save the seals. That sounds like a lot of work there. Um, is it a quick action though uh, that I can take? So sometimes hinting at, you know, it is um, easy, it is quick, it takes less than 30 seconds, whatever, mind you, can help in those conversion moments uh, for teasing the ability around the trigger. The trigger is just act, click, do, or don't be, don't be scared by the data, click on this button and for a ghost to appear. It's astounding how subtle changes can really make a difference when it comes to ease of action with the CTA. Um, you could have an email sign-up CTA on your website, but if it's a link to click to another form or if there are a few fields to fill out, it's just not going to be as easy to take that action, even if the motivation is there. So I really like to recommend making that action as easy as possible um, with as few forms as possible, as accessible as possible. There's this whole type of, this is all called microcopy. And it's this whole nitty gritty world you can get into in just CTA and form label and error label copy and how big of a difference it can make. And it can be a way to reinforce your brand in the way you're asking for it, but it should be clear. If you do decide on your form to have a number of fields, because um, a lot of email marketers are considering adding more forms than we've traditionally all recommended in the past with the latest uh, iOS updates, um, the only way to send personalized emails in the future is going to be asking your users directly for that information. So a crucial part of that will be letting them know on the form why you need it or letting them know that you won't do anything with your their data other than send them emails, um, that you won't sell their data, that you're firmly in privacy protection. Um, that will allow them to kind of fill out that action with confidence and kind of lower maybe some of the hesitation they would have towards taking those additional actions of filling in a few extra form fields. It definitely poses an interesting problem for copywriters who are trying to instill a sense of security with users that are more concerned about their data and what it's being used for, understandably so, but also making sure that our copy is still simple and actions are still easy to take. Yeah. And those can, you don't even have to put that in your initial copy. It can be little notes like at the form field itself, explaining, give us your zip code so we can personalize your emails. So maybe I will end with a final sort of takeaway. We've, we have gone through a quite a number of, uh, of formulas and frameworks and you're like, oh my gosh, yet another, yet another. And we'll have those, of course, in the show notes listed out, which will be, uh, which will be a fun time for us to, to collect together. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, a, big, a big sticking point for me is, again, getting out of your own head, getting out of your own organization and thinking about uh, you know, the larger objective and where you're going. And, and for one of these, like the classic Apple example for ads, and I'll, I just want you to both to think and maybe riff on this a bit. Uh, they, they show that, you know, when they first launched the, the iPod, um, albeit they could have gone with the world's first portable digital media player, what it is. Instead, they pushed on 1000 songs in your pocket. And it's just such a fundamental shift of like, here's the technical spec of what we built. Here's the technical foundation of the number of things that uh, we've done versus, you know, what does it mean to your audience? 
in, in practical terms? Like, how do you think that, how do you think that plays in the nonprofit world? What is your, what is your feeling on that? I think that there is certainly a time and a place for an organization to talk about themselves especially because people really want to donate to nonprofits that they trust and they want to see that data and they want to see the impact that they're making and they want to make sure that their money is going to a place that it can be effective. But I might argue that most copy is probably not best spent talking about yourself, Um, similar to the iPod talking about itself and all of its specs and how great it is. I promise there is a time and a place but it's okay to talk about what you're actually trying to do or the impact that you've had that's more focused on the people or the situations you're helping. Yeah, the end result or the destination is always so much more interesting than the process of getting there. And if somebody really wants to know how they got there, they can pull your 990 form and look at all of the the data and the program members and who's working there, but really what they care about is what did you accomplish? What did you do? And what can I be a part of helping you do versus how you got there? Yeah. We've got 17 people working at a local boys and girls club, helping 37 kids versus imagine a neighborhood that helped each other all of the time. Like, all right, that feels good. That thing. That sounds something that I want to get and use. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to dive into this. What I love about copywriting is that it continues to evolve and it's uh, incredibly important work as we are a you know more and more uh, digital first uh, ecosystem and nonprofits have a disproportionate amount of trust in that system and therefore their words matter quite a bit. So thank you for the time and work you're putting in out there. Thanks, George. Yeah, thank you, George. Thanks, Sarah. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 